0: Listeners, we're back with another exclusive clip celebrating the release of Parcast's new book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. It's available July 12th, but you can pre-order it now at parcast.com cults. Today we dive into the wild story of Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. He relocated his ashram from India to Oregon in 1981. But how far would his followers go to protect their utopian city? enjoy this exclusive clip and be sure to visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order your copy of cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who join them that's parcast.com slash cults
1: but there were bigger changes coming for Sheila, for rajneesh and for the sannyasins in 1974 Rajneesh grew tired of Bombay altogether. His asthma was worsening, and he developed various allergies, which took a toll on his physical well-being. So he looked to find a larger piece of land for his teachings.
0: With the help of his secretary, Lakshmi, he purchased a bit of land outside of Bombay, in Pune, for an ashram, or spiritual monastery, that became the headquarters for all of his operations until 1980. This ashram was incorporated as a non-profit charity called the Rajneesh Foundation in the mid-1970s.
1: Western followers flocked to this ashram in Pune for short stays to take part in the traditional Hindu relationship of Guru Chela, or teacher-pupil, before returning home to practice his teachings and spread the word of Rajneesh's path to enlightenment.
0: The Pune Ashram was run on donations from the devotees, Power was typically tied to a sannyasin wealth on the ashram. Sheila wrote, quote, Some people were more willing to donate money for Rajneesh's personal needs than for the organization. Through donation, they wished to come closer to him, end quote.
1: Rajneesh created a power dynamic between the devotees on the ashram, which favored the wealthy. According to Sheila, quote, Rajneesh would often praise a sannyasin publicly whom he thought of as financially resourceful, end quote.
0: Rajneesh essentially turned the ashram at Pune into a profitable operation and accepted extravagant gifts from his devotees.
1: He had a soft spot for fancy cars, particularly the Rolls-Royce, a car widely associated with the indulgent one-upsmanship of the Maharajas of India at the turn of the century. Rajneesh took his very first Rolls Royce out for a spin while living at the ashram in Pune.
0: Sheila describes the criticism that Rajneesh came under for such extravagances. Quote, True spiritual leaders are not expected to lead a luxurious life. Spirituality in popular consciousness means material poverty. His lifestyle drove many traditional religious people crazy. End quote.
1: Between the years of 1974 and 1980, the ashram in Pune rapidly expanded, with as many as 6,000 sannyasins living on and around the commune, attending therapy sessions, lectures, and meditation workshops. Some of these workshops were called encounter groups. Encounter groups were intensive group therapy sessions that encouraged sexual exploration as a means of pushing sannyasins out of their psychological and spiritual comfort zones.
0: Sheila wrote about how she eventually realized that Rajneesh was exploiting his devotees during this time. He began charging fees for participation in group therapies, meditation sessions, and access to the ashram.
1: Of this change in the financial structure in Pune, Sheila wrote quote, Everyone was so crazy for enlightenment and so zealously anxious to be without ego and to be meditative that they could do anything for it. The sannyasins emptied their pockets and proved their devotion by expensive gifts. This exploitation was dirty, ugly, and repulsive. End quote.
0: Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to pre-order your copy of Cults Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them at parcast.com slash cults. Available in hardcover and as an audiobook. Visit parcast.com slash cults to pre-order today.